Hey soccer friends, I just want to give a shout out to our partner, Team Player. They are changing the game on how you find the perfect soccer team for your player. Parents, this means no more endless social media scrolling to find information on teams. With Team Player, everything you need to know is just a few clicks away. It's simple, straightforward, and lets you find the best coach and team for your player without any of the usual headaches. And coaches, we all know how tough it can be to get your team noticed, but when you subscribe to one of Team Player's team plans, you instantly get access to set up an online team profile that allows you to reach more potential players and showcase what your team is all about. It's super easy and lets players and parents see why your team could be the right fit for them. And if you sign up using the promo code PITCH, you can try any team plan free for one month. So whether you're managing a team or searching for one, come on over to www.teamplayer.us. That is T-E-A-M-P-L-A-Y-R dot U-S. And come give Team Player a look. Hello and welcome back to Chat by the Pitch. This is Ian Babcock, your host. This week I had Jason, Ralph, and Aaron from ECNL. These three gentlemen gave me a little bit more than an hour and 20 minutes of their time, maybe an hour and 30 minutes, to sit down and chat about ECNL and what it means and what ECNL RL is, what's ECNL NTX is, and it's all very fascinating. Their soccer backgrounds are really cool also. So let's start this chat and head to the pit. My name is Aaron Gordon. I am uh, born and raised here in the North Texas area, uh, played in all the local leagues. Uh, date myself with age. I'm 54 years old, so I'm, I'm probably the elder statesman on the on the uh, on the Zoom. Um, and I've 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 been in soccer at every single level, um, both at the club level as a coach to a league director. Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough and found myself to be, uh, on a staff, uh, of the first women's professional soccer league in the WSA in the early, uh, 2000s, which was an extraordinary, amazing experience, uh, that led me back to Dallas. And then I got into collegiate, uh, coaching at Texas tech and Mississippi state university. And then, uh, just in a weird turn of events, found myself back in Dallas and then really, I, I still coach with FC Dallas. I have a team that competes in ECNL, um, and uh, but found myself working for uh, a company here in Dallas that was running leagues at, at the academy level, and uh, and and you know one thing leads to another. You have a lot of history in, in an area that a lot of the coaches here we all kind of came up uh, sewn from the same cloth, so to speak, as a, ambitious young coaches, and now. Everybody is running, uh, whether it be clubs, um, and I found myself running leagues. Um, and it, it has been a, a, a really kind of gratifying uh, experience for me in the last five years because, and I, I, I think both Jason and Ralph can attest to this, and it's part of what ECNL is about, is I find myself as an administrator, but I've done so many things and can relate to what is happening to the coaches and 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 their everyday, um, you know, uh, grind that they go through that I, a lot of times find myself, uh, you know, providing balance to the league and, uh, I, and I can 
not only speak their language, but I can be empathetic, but also at the same time, talk to them about what the competition is about, what the pathways are about as, as compared to the administrators that I grew up uh, playing for or league. Some of those are still in this town and they've done a great job, but the, the game has moved at a, a, a quicker pace and more, you know, I don't want to say I'm a soccer expert. I'm a, I'm, I'm a person with 30 years of soccer playing, coaching, now administrative experience that, that brings a lot more value. Um, and that's where I'm at today. Ralph, you can go next. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. Ralph Richards, uh, ECNL Girls Commissioner, um, born and raised in the Northeast of England, came over when I was 19 years old, went to college at the University of Indianapolis, um, after graduating or getting close to graduating from the school, I got into coaching, coached at Carmel United, which is now known as Indiana Fire, which is the ECNL club. I was there for 10 years as, uh, along with Russell G. And then eventually I got an opportunity to go to St. Louis, went to St. Louis to coach for St. Louis Scott Gallagher, as well as for the women's college program at St. Louis University. Coached under Kat Mertz and Katie Shields. Uh, Kat was there for a year, moved on. Um, my passion and my my love was for the youth game. And so I just kind of came out of the college game. Katie Shields took over. Obviously, the rest is history. She's she's doing an incredible job with the women's uh, in St. Louis at the university level. And uh, I became the ECNL Girls Director for St. Louis Scott Gallagher. I was working with Steve Petcher, Scott McDaniel, I uh, was there from 2011 to just this past season. And um, about three years ago was when uh, Christian and Doug uh, and Jason came up to me and asked if I would be willing to uh, uh, join the group, join the leadership group and become the ECNL Girls Commissioner. And my ties were still deep and my roots were deep into Gallagher. I think everyone, I think Aaron would speak upon that and Jason would speak upon that. And so I found it very challenging to make the switch, but I love the league. I've always loved the league. I've been in the league since it started as a coach and then as a director and found myself on the board um, in 2020 for the Midwest. And then I've really kind of found the passion and love to help leagues and directors um, build um, in and around the, around the country. And so then eventually I said, yes, uh, I will join the leadership team and, and that's why I'm sitting in the seat I'm in now as the girls commissioner. And don't, uh, I'll, I'll brag for Ralph, but Ralph was also the ECNL coach of the year last year on, wow. the, on the girls' side. So that's uh, that is two back-to-back national champions. And that that is uh, a rare feat. So I'll, I'll brag for him on that one. I'm going to brag for Jason because Jason has a upcoming national title in his waiting with the pre-ECNL girls. <laughs> yeah. talk about that Pittsburgh, listen, if Pittsburgh ever wins a national championship, we that we will celebrate that with a ticker tape parade. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it goes. Thank you, Jason. Uh, so my name is Jason Cutney. Um, I've been with the ECNL since April of 2019. Prior to that, uh, grew up in New Jersey, came to Pittsburgh to play college soccer at Duquesne University, got drafted to play in the old A-League, what was the A-League for one year when I went there first in Charleston Battery, spent a couple of years there, then went to New York. Um, they had just transitioned from Metro Stars to Red Bull. 
but things just didn't work out for me while I was there because of a coaching change. And, or at least that's what I blame it on. Uh, so I was sour from that. I went back to Pittsburgh, licking my wounds and kind of fell into a business opportunity for an indoor sports complex, which kind of led to my roots in Pittsburgh from a business standpoint. So took an indoor sports facility that was mostly tennis and racquetball, flipped it to a multi-sport facility, had a sweat equity interest in it. Um, and within a year of getting involved in that company, we leveraged that for the acquisition of the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. So we bought the Riverhounds in 2006. Um, I was the CEO for 13 years of that club. Last project was development of Highmark Stadium, uh, which is certainly something very proud of, but was the hardest five years of my life that I would never want to do again in a million years. Um, but spent a lot of time. You know, one of the cool things was I, I started the Riverhounds Academy with my staff and saw it from nothing into something. And I think when I, you know, my, my joining of the ECNL was interesting because we had three years in a row applied to the ECNL and, and did not get in. And I was very sour about that, which I constantly remind everyone that works for the ECNL of. Um, but it was something where I truly saw the league as being a major force for driving soccer in a positive direction in, in, a, in a city like Pittsburgh, especially because it's geographically isolated. And for me, that was really a, a great tipping point for the Riverhounds in a, in a positive direction. But also for me personally, when I joined the ECNL, it's helped me really look at clubs that are in that same category, that are either geographically strained, not in a marketplace that has the, the rich history of producing soccer players and teams, and also just giving clubs a chance that otherwise wouldn't have a chance. And I think that's very part and parcel of what we're talking about today as well with the ECNL Regional League and the ECNL and the relationship between those two of creating a pathway for clubs that can improve players, have a great competitive platform and experience with showcasing opportunities, but also move the club in a certain direction. And, and certainly many years back when I was being ignored, uh, had we been given a chance to go into an ECNL Regional League and prove our way, it would have been a, a welcomed with open arms situation. But that's my uh, that's my spiel as I enter into the ECNL year five now. Awesome. So quick side note, Jason, do you know Caleb Smith then? I do. I just interviewed uh, his episode just dropped today. <laughs> Small world. Yeah. Um, so let's start off with the the history of ECNL. I know I'm new to the whole I mean, Like I said, my kids are nine, nine and five, and I'm fairly new to the ECNL world. And a lot of parents here in DFW area are new to the world of competitive soccer. And what where did ECNL actually start, roughly? So East Mill was a 2009 founding on the girls' side. Um, it was a very small, very different league at that point. Ralph and I were uh, were certainly not not involved with the league yet, but Ralph was from a director's role standpoint as one of those kind of founding clubs, correct me if I'm wrong, Ralph, that, that came in and helped get that up on its feet. But it started as a girls' league that really was event-based almost at first in terms of bringing the clubs together for – competition. I don't even believe there was really a postseason until maybe two or three years into it, but it was it was really a grouping of the best clubs in the country that had historically produced the highest number of national team players and division one college prospects and things like that. So it created this aura in the country that even in little old Pittsburgh, we we saw this and were very jealous of of how this was formed. But I'll turn it to Ralph because he was involved in those early days as well. No, I think Grayson, uh, Jason started it really well. I mean, it, it started in 2009 with 40 clubs. Um, 
as a uh, I was in the room when it first when clubs got together to discuss it. Um, before that, it was the Red Bull, and I remember sitting in I think it was a locker room. Actually, it wasn't even a room; it was a locker room in in Virginia, in Richmond, I think. Um, and um, that's when the the conversation was, you know, we need to do something independent, if you will, um, because we want club directors, we want our league to make decisions, our directors to make decisions. So yeah, it started in 2009, 40 clubs, um, Karma United, which is the club I was with at the time, did not join the year, year one, but I remember we got in on year two. So we jumped in in 2010. It went from 40 to 52. It grew slowly. And to Jason's point, it started with clubs coming together and playing in, in actual nat national events, events that were already in existence, kind of like Disney and things like that. So you would play against, you would just have your brackets inside of those national events and you would play those games together. Um, after I think year two, they added the U19. So it went to four age groups and there it just slowly grew. It got some traction. We added a club or two or five clubs um, and it eventually grew in five years time to where we got to about 80, 80 clubs on the girls side. And it was in, and, and during that time, it's, we added regional games. We added uh, regional competition. So you got to play some league games. That was in year two, I believe. Um, year three, maybe with the regional league games. So you played nine games, regionalized, close to home. And then you also played in the events. And, and teams and clubs at that time were still involved in other platforms because we couldn't just leave everything. We, we were building slowly. And I think the ECNL has done a tremendous job on making small steps, but very big steps, if you will, big steps in small steps, I think, uh, or big improvements, big changes in those small steps. And I think that's what took us to where eventually that's when the boys came in and the boys came in, Jason, was it 2017? Was that, would that be about right? So boys came in in 2017. At that point, girls were well-established. We had 84 clubs involved. We were probably all six age groups deep. We were having league games. We had national um, events that we were going to. We had a postseason structure where we had two different flights, not just the top flight. We had a second flight in there. And then the growth turned over to the boys' side. So, Jason, I don't know if you want to jump back in on how the boys started and how they got going, but probably around 2017, that's yeah. Yeah, and then it was interesting because that was the year that the Pittsburgh Riverhounds got into the girls' ECNL. It was, it was 2017, and it was the boys' group, boys' league was just forming at that time. So it was somewhat, you know, the the reverse Adam and Eve situation here where the, the boys were born from the girls, you know, and it, it – there was a pathway, there was a structure, there was all those types of things that you needed. And I think what was happening in the country was there was a lot of clubs that were not involved in the U.S. Development Academy at that time for the boys that were really interested in galvanizing around the same structure and standards that were on the girls' side. And so many of those clubs said, look, why are we not forming the same thing for the boys? Um, you know, there's no there's no shortage of youth soccer leagues in this country, as we all know, or clubs or, you know, futsal tournaments. So, you know, you look at it and you say, well, why form it? And I think it was really formed because the clubs, many of which were on the girls side, most of which were on the girls side at that time, said we want the same standards for the boys and we want the same type of setup competitively. We want our boys side of our club to match our girls side. So it was formed in 2017. Uh, I entered in 2019 in terms of the, the commissioner role. 
but I was also on the ECNL board of directors for the boys prior to that uh, transition. So it was interesting to see the growth on the boys side. It, you know, when I joined the boys, we had 57 clubs at that time and it just kind of took off um, mostly just because the, the clubs themselves have done such a good job on their end of raising their standards and investing in infrastructure, facilities, coaching staff, you know, video technology, all those types of things. But people are looking at it and saying, wow, I, I would like my child to play for a club like that. And that club happens to be in the ECNL. You know, the ECNL does not develop soccer players. And Christian Labors, our president, says it all the time. The clubs develop the soccer players. So ultimately, we want to create the best opportunity for those clubs to perform and compete. And Aaron, you're with North Texas uh, ECNL. So is it? And so well, well, history it, here. It, well, it's inter it's interesting, obviously, hearing um, the stories from from Jason <clears throat> and Ralph, because at that time when ECNL um, first started, I you know I had just I had I had left FC Dallas as the director of the club to get into the college game in 2007, and at that time was the original. You know, ECNL was. Uh, Ralph mentioned Red Bull, which not good, trying to get into the weeds of all that stuff. But ECNO was also kind of a reaction because the Federation decided to have a boys academy league for two age groups. And there was a wanting on the girls side, but there was no appetite from the boys. They had a different agenda of trying to win the World Cup for the men's team, basically. And so there were all these from uh, from uh, residency programs to now this National League. This was the way that the girls could do it. And and it's kind of funny, the alphabet leagues, the alphabet leagues have always been around. They were just run or controlled by other entities. USYS and the state uh, associations had probably what was the biggest com uh, competition in this country. The, the problem with that is not all states were equal. And so, you know, states that had multiple good teams, their only one team was going to get along with that pathway and so an, enough of these teams really didn't get to play against each other on a regular basis, whether it be in a league competition, a showcase competition. It was all dependent upon this grouping of showcases throughout the country, whether it be Disney, whether it be uh, WAGS, which was a huge tournament back in the day for teams. I mean, they were all surf. Th these events still exist. But it was not everyone could all coordinate to get in. And sometimes it was very political. And so, you know, any club that did well uh, in, in an area sometimes didn't have the, you know, to be able to go because Disney would only take the state cup winner, not the runner up. I mean, it was just kind of all kind of weird stuff. And this, all this stuff really was like, well, all the directors like, why don't we do this ourselves? And being in the college game at that time, it was like, wow, what a great way to go recruit a bunch of kids at one time, see them all at one place. Uh, and it really created this festival type atmosphere that has just, you know, every single year gotten a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And 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 now it, it has gone to not only the size, the scope, boys and girls, uh, but a, a second tier regionally that always kind of existed there, but that has brought this group together. Um, and, and, and then the growth opportunity of what I do now at the local level for a regional league that, you know, not, not every, every club in the country meets the standard of ECNL of having enough teams or the infrastructure to do it. 
but now they have an opportunity to test the water. And I, I'm sure we'll get that in, get into that at the local level. But but all of this has just kind of galvanized what people were going through 20 years ago, but trying to get the best environment for the best players and coaches to get together on a regular basis. That's really what why it got started, because there were not enough meaningful games. You only saw someone once a year, maybe. And now you have a chance to see them three or four times a year, both in your local, regional, and then national market. So that's awesome. Because that that is, I think that's the confusion. I mean, at least it is for me, because you have ECNL, you have ECNL RL, and you have ECNL RL North Texas. Now, North Texas is slightly different than all the rest, but do, can they, can you, if you, if you start off in North Texas, can you work your way through RL and hit the national league? They go compete in some of these larger show, showcases then. Well, and, and, and I know these guys will, will chime in, but the, you know, what, what the, the local regional leagues has done is it's allowed for teams that may not have at the time been able to get into ECNL because they weren't big enough or they didn't have the infrastructure to do it, but have then grown locally to do very well in their market and be part of it uh, to play in a league along with the other ECNL clubs. Uh, they were doing this locally anyway, but 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 then have the opportunity for the infrastructure ECNL has set up in terms of pathways to not only their events, but their postseason. Um, and then, you know, I, th I think when we first started this and I said, guys, look, here's what this league is going to mean. And if you prove yourself, it will be the proving ground to get in. And I think there were a lot of people that were somewhat skeptical uh, about that. Talk is cheap. And and but the grand plan for ECNL was we've they have to as commissioners they they're they have to create environments that if someone can prove that they're good enough that they can get a chance. Now the standards are high. You can't have one out of your six teams be a good team because that's not really a representation of your entire club. But we had two uh, local, a boys team and a girls team. Uh, and, and the girls team was from Arkansas. They were kind of an outlier, but they had consistently proved in three years that they were three or four teams winning the top two or finishing in first and second, and then being very, very competitive at the postseason in uh, with the, the regional league playoffs, the local boys club here, Avanti, which, which uh, just started three years ago, but has a history of a bunch of coaches who worked at the very highest level here. Their, their first crack out of the box qualified four of six teams to get to the playoffs. One of them made it to the nationals. So the proving ground was created. So then when opportunity presents itself, when there's an expansion in the Texas Conference RL or NL, ECNL, it's, it's bad press if they go outside of that to go get it. They want to be able to do it with inside. Here were two teams right away that ha had proven at this level that they were good enough and got the invite to the next level. And when you look at the standings of both, they're both, you know, they're competing very well in there with the rest. And so I think not only is it a great story, but um, and, and North Texas is just one of the stories they're, they're doing in other areas, too, that teams are getting it. Now, is it hard? Is the road hard to get up? But it's no different in, in you know, trying to go from the third division 
to the Premier League, you know, it, it's a hard road to get there and it's got to be consistency and you've got to show it. The best way to do it in in a club competition is not just one team. you got to show half your teams or four out of six or whatever, showing on a consistent basis. And then, the, and then to know that you're potentially rewarded and it's happening that way, both on the ascending and the descending for clubs that don't have to. Now there's a platform. If you're an NL and not really competing, those teams now have found themselves going into the RL big conferences and doing much better. And same thing from the RL to North Texas. The, you see that all across the country. So it's really created a, a, a nice opportunity and you know, nobody wants to be booted out of the ECNL, but if, if they know that they have a competition based on what they're providing for the club that they have the opportunity to get into under the same rules, the same guidelines, everything, it makes it much better in terms of your club and running your, your teams. So I think that the kind of, I think if I'm following this right, so if you don't perform in the NL, you get bumped down to the RL or? Not immediately. It, it's over time. Nobody is looking at like in a one time it, it's performance over, you know, and, and these guys can speak more of it, uh, of to the teams that have, but I, from a local standpoint, Oklahoma Celtic on the girls was a perfect example. They were performing over three or four years, not doing very well. They dropped their NL into the Texas conference RL, and now they're much more competitive. Their families are having a much better experience and players are performing and moving on. It's not a one-time shot through. In all, in my in, in the league that I run or Texas Conference RL, if someone is really doing well and there's an opportunity for expansion or whatever, that's the pool of teams that they're they're going to be looking at. Gotcha. Just because I I think that's one of the biggest complaints I hear from parents talking. I mean, I have my son's been playing for five, almost five years now. So we've made quite a few friends over the years and we have all gone our other ways, but they, they all have kids and playing in this beautiful game. And they talk, their biggest complaint is my favorite, like laughed because they said we went to Denver, we played two games and he goes, it's nothing against the kids that were there, the teams we played against. It's just, we, we crushed them. Then we come back home and we play a team that's local and we get ourselves rocked. He goes, I don't get why we're traveling to Denver to go play in the NL side. And then we play here in our local leagues and it's a local club. And we're supposed to be one of the best teams in, in the nation. We get ourselves stomped. And he goes, there's nothing wrong with that. Any given, any given day, kids can perform. I mean, they're kids. They aren't professionals. And that's what he said to me. It's like, it, it was, how do we find the balance between the two because you can have local teams that can't maybe if i don't know cost is of how much what the cost factor is to join ecnl um i that's something i don't talk too much about because i only know local leagues that's all i'm looking at because it's all my kids are playing in right now but as he my son my kid or my, my son or my daughter progresses and they have if they're on a team that joins the ecnl i know there's a cost factor to be in that league how can these smaller clubs then that are rocking it here in North Texas, do like you said, they have to prove themselves, but they do have consistency of proving themselves, but it might be in different leagues that might not correspond. You said US, what is it? US? USYS. Yes. They perform very well there, but they say, we don't want to go and go join ECNL because we don't want to put an extra burden on our families. And how, like, it's the play to play, it's the play, pay to play, play. model here model in the United States. And it's very hard for some families. I, it's the best advice I was given when I was talking to a sports psychologist um, a few months ago. 
just candidly, he says, until the sport is playing in the poorest community, soccer will never be like the NBA or won't be like baseball or football because that's where you're going to find your, some of your best players. I mean, I hear stories of kids coming out of um, here in DFW as Oak, what is it called? Oak Ridge, is that sound right? Oak Cliff. Oak Cliff, thank you. And yeah. their families can't afford to play club soccer not even let alone rack, but they can go, they're a baller in high school sport and they get a chance to get seen in high school and have a chance for a scholarship. But this is where my point is. It's how do we foster this love and foster this game so families can enjoy it at, at any level, at economic level. And I know it's up to the clubs. This goes back to the clubs providing the pathway because like you guys said, this isn't a, a platform where the best players can perform. But how do you work with clubs to allow that fostering then? Some ways, I think you have to geographically harness the, the competition, right? And so for ECNL, we have conferences and the boys and the girls side and those conferences stretch a certain amount of distance. So for the boys, uh, I'll speak specifically, the boys Texas conference includes Oklahoma City and Tulsa, but then generally goes down through North Texas into South Texas. That, that travel can be significant in terms of Oklahoma going to South Texas, right? We know that, but we try to make sure that the clubs that are involved still want that, right? That they, they still see that as being super valuable. We can always split North Texas from South Texas and have two separate conferences. Those clubs are the ones that say they don't want that. They want to continue playing South Texas versus North Texas because of the, the, the competition and everything else, you know, that, the clubs that we have generally speak and we listen from a league standpoint and we create the best structure possible. And when you look at what you're honing in on now, you know, I, I can understand that, right? We look at this from a standpoint of what's best for the family. The family is going to make that decision as a league. We try to provide outlets, right? And so the outlet for like a, a top performing club is to be in the ECNL if it makes sense for them and compete. And it involves travel within that Texas market. When they go to national events, sure, they may travel to Florida, they may travel to Arizona, they may travel to Missouri, but that the the goal of that is that it's worth their time and it's worth their money. And for us, what that means is college coaches, right? We need to make sure that we have college coaches all around the fields because if you're going to write a check to be part of a club, that club is going to charge this much, this much, or this much, depending on whatever they see as the resources they're providing for that, that family. Our league is actually quite affordable. We are one of the cheapest leagues. When you look at, we, we run numbers on the national league scales. We're one of the more cost-effective leagues there are in, in this country for the club. But we understand that the travel for the families is separate from that. They're going to pay to be part of their club. That club is going to pay to be part of the league, but then they have to go and travel. And so when they travel, we try to make it worth their while with college coach exposure. That's our bread and butter. That's what we're all about. We're trying to make sure that there's hundreds of college coaches at every one of our national events. On the boys' side, we average around 500 college coaches at our events. On the girls' side, around 900, right? And that's a difference between men's and women's college soccer in this country and the resources available to those programs and the number of programs because there's almost double women's versus men's. But when you look at what we try to provide down to the, the, the granular level, you know, Aaron's a great example of running a very high level league that harnesses within a certain smaller area of Texas, right? And the clubs that are performing in that, like Avanti, that do very well, then have the opportunity to move to the ECNL Texas Conference Regional League. 
And now Avanti, whereas last year they were in, you know, first place generally at almost every single age group. Now they're in fifth, sixth or seventh place. And they're playing in the RL Texas, which generally speaking, that's second teams from the clubs that are in the ECNL. So if they do very well there, the next look is to go to the Texas Conference. But we would have that conversation with them beforehand because it's not just on the field. It's off the field, right? The administrative, the resources, it may not be the right move for them to be in the ECNL. And to Aaron's point earlier with Oklahoma Celtic, they on the boys' side were in the very same situation a few years ago. We had a very honest discussion with them, and we said, look, your teams are not winning. These kids are traveling quite a distance to lose, and they're losing heavily, right? And we need to change this. It's better to move. So they moved to the RL. Last year, they won a national championship for the boys' side in the RL, right? They're, they're, they're now three out of their six age groups are in the top five spots at the conference. So like, they're doing well. They're winning. And there's something to that for the, the psyche of the players and what they see as their trajectory as well. So, you know, there's no easy answer. This is a continent. It's, it's a huge area of land that we're trying to cover. That's why the scouting is so difficult in this country for finding national team players. Yes, getting into the inner cities is going to be a major point that we need to, especially on the girls' side. I think the boys' side is ahead of the girls' side in that regard. Um, there's more scholarship to players on the boys' side in youth soccer than girls' side in this country. That's a demographics issue. But what we have to try to figure out is how to make it affordable. And the NTX is a great example of isolating an area, an extremely high competitive level within that area. As we all know, they have the player pools. Your son's part of Solar. They have like eight bazillion players in Solar. Right? So we know that these are big clubs, but they want good leagues where they can compete. And I, and I would say too, in terms of the, the competitive nature, just a big picture, your your kids are going to be getting older. North Texas is a, a, a really good example. From U twelve and down, it's it's uh, we have pre ECNL and these, you know, we I afford uh, the clubs that are members in our league three, four, five teams because they're they're moving players around. They have freedom of, a, a, of not being rostered. We just want them, you know, all the players to be carded so they can develop the players within their team on a week to week basis. And, and so the, you can put a big blanket over, I think everything from U 12 down per age group, because all teams, there's a lot of competitive teams. There's always a super team, but I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to, to, really know where the cream of the crop once they start to go through u13 and you know i i use avanti who's done a great job but it 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 really becomes clear like the the there are good players in every league high quality players in every league but for the most part the top you know players in uh the north texas area probably with the exception of FC Dallas's academy, which is an MLS and X academy. That's a completely different animal altogether. They have a different agenda. They're trying to sign players to play in the stadium. That's their deal. But the, the vast majority of the best players are playing in NL boys. The next level are playing in uh, Texas conference RL and the next players are playing in the RL North Texas. And it comes to fruition Avanti, who is a standout, great. I watched many of their games. They're fantastic. It's a little harder going to the Texas Conference because there's not only is the player pool a little bit better, the uh, there's, you know, the, the good and bad about travel is, yes, it's more expensive, but at the same time, managing your players, playing double fixtures on a game, being able to do are all things that players in their develop have to learn as they do go to the next 
level, because when you go to college, you are traveling, you got to know what all that stuff is going on. So there's little parts of it in the development path of a player that are significant of, of how EC, ECNO works, but it, but it should be harder for them. And it is. And, and talking with their leadership, you know, I think they thought they were guns blazing, going to win every age group like they did in our own North Texas. And he said, there's a lot of good teams. It's opened their eyes to what they need to do to get better. So I think, I think it's a good process. And then, you know, whatever is going on in the, in, in here locally, you know, I get calls every day. Teams want to be in our league, but my first criteria is you have to have your club has to at least be able to provide a team in every age group, U13, U14, U15, U16, U7, because that's the rules of ECNL. It's a club-based com competition. So we're trying to mirror what's happening at the Texas RL and the NL and some, you know, uh, uh, directors, they're like, well, this, that's not fair. And I said, well, but you need to build your club and prove yourself that you can be able to do it because that's, that, that is the, 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 the first kind of criteria to get in. I, and, and my organization, just so, because we have people, I monitor all the leagues and I, I look on a moment's notice and I can find out who's in first place or fourth place criteria. I've, I've kept that all the time. And, you know, that's part of the success of picking teams that I've done in my league is I can go to, to Jason and Ralph or Christian and say, here are the teams that I think could be good fits for our league. And here's why. And so I've done a lot of the hard work of like, here's their teams, here's where they win, here's what league they play in. And that's why our league has been really competitive locally here um, because I, I take the time and due diligence. And when someone wants to come in, I can, I have a reference point right away of where they're at. So. This, this might be a different, from this, like say, since you're saying you're mirroring, does it have to be just one side of the equations? Can they have a team in every age group just in girls or do they have to have every age group in boys and girls? Well, I, 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 I look at it independently. There are some clubs that are, are, are better on the, on the girl side and their boys side is not up. They want to be in, but I, I've not allowed them because I don't think that their teams have performed on the local level to the level needed to be in the league. And so we have, I have a couple that are just girls and I have a couple that are just boys because it's the nature of it. Um, and they want to be in, but I'm not going to give them a, a golden ticket just to get in because the boys side is good. They've got to prove it at some level on the other side. And, and, and because of all this, you know, we, we, ECNL is a U.S. club soccer league. We created an MPL North Texas league for those teams trying to build their case as a local uh, proving ground to get into that league, which we started this year. And we've got about 105 teams, but really across the boys, we've got 10 to 12 teams in every age group girls, uh, we, we have about three or four of the age groups, but that that's a numbers game in North Texas with just total number of players. There's more boys players playing in North Texas than, than girls overall anyway. So, um, but any, anyway, all those things kind of go hand in hand of club development, player development. You've got to have a place on a year to year basis, knowing where you're going to be, to be able to market to your parents and players to have stability. And that's to me, as a, if, if, if I was a director, as these guys are, to know where I am every single year allows me to really harness in and, and promoting my individual teams, coaches, players, rather than worrying about, you know, what's happening on, on a season to season basis, which is kind of maybe the criticism that happens here locally. You got relegation promotion after each season. You talk about something that, that, that creates some real instability with your parents 
and and people that, that you know, the, I guess the purists would say, well, that's the best competition. I say sometimes having stability creates the best player, knowing where you're going to play, coaches knowing where they're at. I mean, like I said, it, it, it takes a lot to to be moved out of an ECNL level um, because they look at it holistically over time, not just like a, you know, a one, two, three. I'd be fired so many times for so many losses I had. If someone looked at a one game, two game result, that'd be awful. But, you know, that that's that that's part of the stability of these leagues as ECNL provides that. So you guys talk, so with the clubs, this is so, I can understand this better. What you have, how many levels can a club have for teams? So if a, I'll take solar, since that's who my son plays for. Do you guys only allow so many teams per age group into each, each level? So you have NTX, you have RL and NL side of ECNL. Do you only allow two clubs per age group or is it, matter of competition they have to prove themselves because that's been the common theme you guys have all been talking about it's uh, proof in the pudding so to speak it's making sure they're proving themselves to be at that level now is a club allowed to have five eight five of the same age group in the same the group or do you guys say sorry you can only have two 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 teams per age group for each uh, boy boys and girls so I'll jump in here. I mean, that's a it's, a, it's an open-ended question because in certain markets, we do have clubs that do have two clubs, if you will, in the ECNL National League, right? We do have it. Uh, we do have clubs that have one ECNL team, but then they have two regional league teams. And we have that as well be based on the market. And I think that's what it comes down to. It comes down to, what are the needs in the individual markets that we're trying to uh, build? If there are clubs that are in the regional league um, and they are performing extremely well, then we will consider them to be promoted, just as as Jason and Aaron alluded to. But we also want to we have to look at kind of where these clubs are based out of. If they're in the same market, two miles away from each other, are we going to have the same club two two miles away from each other in there? Probably not, because it doesn't make sense for the competition. Um, but we are going to look at the the quality of clubs. We're going to look at what where the clubs are located. We're going to look at what the need for the competition. To Jason's point, we we have to balance the the financial piece with the travel. You know, I mean, in the Texas Conference ECNL, we we have Colorado. <laughs> How are they in it? Because we it made sense on the girls' side because of the high school season. And, you know, so people in Texas may not know that, but that's one of the big reasons why we brought the Colorado clubs back into the Texas conference, because at the oldest age groups, they couldn't go West because they weren't playing in the right seasons for those, for those players. And so bringing them down to Texas and having a balance, that was something that we had to think outside the box as a league and, and make it, see if it was right. And we didn't just make that call as directors and leaders to Jason's point, we went to the clubs and said, would you be okay with this? Are you okay with Colorado coming in? It's going to cause some additional travel. We can't go and play a schedule home and away anymore. I mean, one, you've gone from 12 teams to 16 teams, you know, so going from a 22 game schedule to closer to 30 game schedule, whatever it may be is, is just ridiculous. And traveling to Colorado twice, as well as all the other travel is just not fair on the parents. 
So we had to kind of come to an to a consensus. And for about a month, the clubs were working together to find the best competitive structure. And so we went to a single table, which got everyone 15 games, which isn't enough. Aaron knows that. He's in a club that would say, no, we need more games than that. And rightly so, right? And so we created um, and innovated and we got came out with the uh, ECNL Texas Cup, which was now regionalizing games in your markets at the ECNL level. And the top performing team from those four areas come together, which actually was last weekend in Dallas. Yeah. Um, and they played a final four. And the re- then we when we brought that to the table for the clubs, the club said, well, can we do that at the regional league level? We said, why not? Is that what you want? So clubs are coming to the leadership, coming to us. We're hearing these great ideas. And this happens all across the country. And this is, I mean, goes back. The league is led by club leaders. And that's what you want out of this league. And so, yeah, the regional league setup is a little bit different. There's no Colorado. Um but we we had to get creative. We have a, a group of four. We had a group of five, and we had a group of six. You played different amount of games, but that's okay. You still got four teams to qualify to a final four, and they all came together, ECNL and regionally together last weekend in Dallas, played for a cup. There was something on the line, not just holding up a cup, which by the way was awesome, seeing the kids cheer and scream and parents get involved. It was so so cool. I went down to it. It was fantastic. But at the same time, there was a qualification piece on the line. So the winner was already booking their spot to the playoffs, the postseason. So it was a a magical, a magical little event. So that came from club leaders coming together to create something. So um, I kind of went off track a little bit on the number of teams and clubs you can have. But I think that just shows that it isn't a... um, check the box and it's, you know, one answer and it's black and white. It's not, it's very fluid. And I think what we have are great leaders and we have great leadership team that work together to make it right for the clubs inside the league and for the clubs that want to get in to Aaron's point, clubs are asking to get into the North Texas region league. And he, he vets him. He looks at him. He thinks that, yeah, right on the boys side, not here, come in the MPL, prove yourself, work your way up. And I know these guys talked about the proving ground and a pathway. So we've identified that pathway. We've kind of identified a little bit of the proving ground, but we've talked a lot about clubs moving up and clubs moving down. There's a challenge for the club that has a really, really good team or two good teams. And they have their own pathway because they can get to the playoffs and they can get to the ECNL regional league finals or the ECNL finals. And they can compete, but they may be only good in one age group, maybe two age groups. So that club is probably not likely going to move up with only one really, really strong team or two strong teams. But we shouldn't hold that team back. And so what we've done this year, Jason and myself, we've looked at our national events and we've said any of our top performing RL teams, ECNL regional league teams that did really, really well. And I mean, not just win a regional league, but they won the regional events, the championships last year. We had five of those and they went to the nationals and they might've even won a nationals. If they won nationals, got to a final, got to the final four, we're going to consider them as a top performing regional league team. And that team, we want to see if we can get them into an ECNL national showcase where they can be in front of the college scouts, where they have a chance to prove themselves and play against some of the ECNL teams. And we have that now. I, I can't speak on behalf of Jason on the boys' side, but I would say we have close to 10 clubs 
regionally clubs going into our regional national events because one, there's room and two, there's need. And three, most importantly, these kids deserve that opportunity. And so we have 10 teams on the girls' side. So that's an individual pathway for that team. So it's not just about the club moving up. I think we have to find ways to be creative, innovative. We've got to think about the individual player. We've got to think about the individual teams, the clubs, but then we've got to find and put it all together and, you know, bring it together. So, well, and, 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 and I think the thing is too, everyone, everyone in every market kind of looks through the lens of their market and every market is so completely different. I mean, you know, they, they, everyone with the ECNL, excuse me, kids me about the wild west of Texas, just (laughs) in terms of everything going on. But I could probably say the same thing about SoCal or Florida. I mean, everyone has their own own nuance. But I, I think what people or parents sometimes fail to realize, and I think anyone who's been around ECNL for a long time, whether you coached in it or saw it from the, through the eyes of a um, college coach trying to recruit, it's, it's evolved over time. And a lot of decisions were made with certain teams, uh, or why does this team have two teams? It was market driven because they were strong in that market. There needed to be another team to balance out the league. There's rules in place. You know, they can't share players. They act as two different programs. And so a lot of this historically have, have, have been done to make the best league competitive league possible. And while at the same time, during a time of our select soccer travel history, national leagues of the federation competing against a local league and then vacating. I mean, you know, there, there are all these things that kind of went on. And so that's how some of this evolves of why there might be two, uh, two teams within a club within a conference at the local level. It's, it's very black and white. You know, I told you about how I could keep up with all the number of, of, of teams and their standings. Well, that also gave me the, the breakdown locally of where teams played. And so the the clubs that have multiple programs in our league had multiple programs basically functioning in the local classic league based on their own merit. I didn't give them anything. It was, I mean, FC Dallas and solar had 50, almost 50% of the market share in, in those leagues. So, you know, they had earned the right locally proved the amount of what they were doing. So it just became very easy in terms of you guys have this, we're going to create this league. And it, it, it has really not been any type of an issue or a problem, but they all know if someone is underperforming, it's up to them. Again, we're two years into a league. And in the first year we had a promotion um, with Avanti, but the, the competitive nature of, of on the boys side of the local regional league versus the Texas conference was, I was out at all the games was very tight. They were, all the games were significant, but it opened their eyes to all the leaders too. Like we got to make sure that this age group gets better. We got to make sure that we do a better job with the right coach, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, with, with that league, it's, you know, we, we brought, brought uh, uh, DKSC into the league, obviously ECNL, but, you know, has done very well at each level. And then aces, which was a, you know, a, a local club with, 
you know, their own facilities and great leadership over a long period of time and has showed those are the additions that we decided to be able to have. And so uh, DKSC has done extremely well in some of the age groups and ACEs have found it, wow, this is way more difficult than what we thought it was going to be like coming from the local league. Even, it doesn't matter how much you warn somebody until they get in and experience it and, and realize, you know, who they're going up against. Um, uh, it, 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 it's, it's been a success, but that's the, you know, there, there's no magic formula. The teams that got into our league had already had a foundation with the number of teams that they had played in the local classic league and all they wanted. I mean, if, if you look at the clubs in ECNL, when they see how nice is it that they're in one platform with all these players, they can register to, there's so much more connectivity through the lines that, that makes it, uh, just running your club up. You can be a much more efficient operation. Thank you. Uh, I mean, we're running out of time, but I think you guys have answered a lot of the questions and the and the the issues that I see personally. Just because I I I only go by what I hear, and it's not always the truth. It's someone told me like there's no no teams get kicked out of ECL once you're in, you're in. It's no, there you guys do it, which I understand. You guys do it over a long term because it it could be a change in club, it could be a change in players in the background we just don't you don't know what's really going on um and we did talk about a few of the other things so really quickly your showcases is that is your pathway for the league it is bringing in your collegiate coaches and things along that line um anything else dealing with your showcases that might help parents further understand do you guys have scouts for mls teams do you guys have scouts for other pro teams in the area. I mean, you have the river hounds that were, they have their own Academy, but doesn't mean they might not, they might find someone in, in Buffalo, New York. That's not too far from Pittsburgh for players. Is it, that something that's going on there or is that just the end of the story for that? No, I mean, the, you know, the boys side, obviously different than the girls side because of MLS in some ways from a, an Academy standpoint, um, our, especially our U 12, 13 and 14 events, are packed with MLS scouts. Um, up through the U15 age group is where they're very much saturated at our events. Beyond that point, as we all know, like if there's a special, special 16 or 17 year old in an area, that player will be found in some way, shape or form typically. But from the broad scale scouting, they're at the U12, 13, 14s event. Our ECNL clubs produce a very high number of MLS Academy players in this country, extremely high. So yes, on that side, on the college side, you know, we, we try to treat college coaches with respect and, you know, make sure that they have everything that they need to come and scout these players. We oftentimes schedule and set up the events so that they're geographically uh, situated around the country for college coaches. They're timed for the college coaches properly. You know, we do a lot so that the league is always in communication with those coaches. And quite, quite honestly, we ask them, you know, we, we speak to a lot of them every single year to ask them. Is this the right location? Is this the right time? Are we scheduling the games correctly? Are you getting everything that you need from our software to make sure that you can watch the players? Now we're investing in in uh, in Huddle with Huddle as a partner to make sure that all of our games are live streamed at these events. You know, we're trying to do everything that we can to make sure that the players themselves have opportunities. And really, you know, you brought up that uh, I mentioned before about clubs getting kicked out of the league. We, you know, we don't look at it from a kick out standpoint. We look, it's a commitment, right? A club's making a commitment to the league. We're making a commitment to the club. It's very rare to see a club come into our league and finish top third in every age group straight away. 
right? It's just, it doesn't happen. The, the lion's share of those top clubs around the country, you know, you know them with, with Dallas has several of them, Southern California, Atlanta, you know, there's these big hubs with big clubs that do very well. We're now in a situation where we're making sure that we provide opportunities for clubs. And when they don't do well, right out of the gate, we have to help them or we have to provide resources for them. So when they go to a national event and they may be struggling in a few ages, then we don't put them up against the top, top club in the ECNL at that showcase, right? They have to be playing like versus like. So when we look at showcases, we look at it from a standpoint of showcasing, right? Showcasing the best players from the best clubs, but doing it in a like versus like, so that sure you can have a Patty Adoras playing a surf, right? They're playing in the conference games every single week. So when they go to a national event, they're not going to play each other. We're going to play Patty Adoras against Concord from the opposite side of the country, you know, and bring them together. But just the same, if we have clubs that are in that middle tier or in that bottom tier, like any league does in the in the world, including the English Premier League, you know, we're looking at ways that we can have the same tier of club play against the same tier of club. We just don't call them tiers, right? We look at the rankings. We look how they're doing. It's year to year. We assess that and the algorithms that we use to produce national event schedules account for those types of things. We then communicate with clubs because, you know, a club that did not do very well at the U15 age group last year may have had a resounding uh, new influx of players that came in for their U16 team this year. So when our algorithm says, well, they should be down here when it comes to national events, they reach out to us and say, well, this club got, this team got much better. We then bump them up and, and, you know, schedule accordingly. So it's a lot of work on our end, but we try to make sure that the showcases themselves do the job. They help the players showcase themselves in front of college coaches, in front of the most college coaches possible. And yeah, on the, on the pro side, without a doubt, MLS and USL clubs are all at our events. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's up to the players then, right? They have the fields, they have the ball, the whistle blows and whatever happens from that point. But we try to provide those resources and the best opportunities and the best facilities. Thank you. I don't want, I don't know how much time you guys have, but I want to be respectful for the hour that you guys gave me. Um, my only last question, you guys can answer it. If not, if we can just be done. Um, I always ask what has been your greatest influence, either as a coach or as a player, you guys are all coaches and you guys have all played. So what has been your greatest influence as a player and what has been, who has been your greatest influence as a player and who has been your greatest influence as a coach? Aaron, start us off again. We'll go around the horn. Oh, that's hard. No. You know, Aaron, don't hard. say me, Aaron. Don't. No. <laughs> that's hard. And I, as as a coach, um, it's pretty. That that's an easy one for me. Not someone who actually uh, coached me because I went through several coaches, liked a, a bunch of them. I think players make your own environment. I think you're motivated uh, intrinsically through what you want to do, and 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 the coach ultimately is is adding just the one little thing, um, but. But as a young coach, you know, getting out of college, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, you know, MLS didn't start till 96. I was out of college in 94. I got the coaching bug completely by accident. You know, it was a way to make uh, it was a side hustle, to be honest with you. I didn't never thought I'd get into it. And then I met uh, a guy who was going to take over North Texas State Soccer Association. He had just got hired to be the director. Uh, and he was a federation guy and he was and he just kind of uh, invested in young coaches like myself. His name was Tom Durkin. And uh, and he was really big ab about, 
giving young coaches the opportunity, but he wouldn't give you an opportunity unless you got educated. And so it inspired me to go through the national licenses, getting my C, my B, my A. And that really got me in. And Tom's a good friend today. And he's been several different places doing lots of things. Uh, but, but I really enjoyed his time here uh, being mentored, how to look at the game differently a little bit. And at that time too, I'll never forget Dallas cup was it. Dallas cup is still big, but in the, in the nineties, Dallas cup had big teams and we would, you know, we would be as a group watching games and, and, and he, you know, he, he, he had a great eye, not only for talent, but, but, but how to look at the, the game a different way and how to teach the game. He was an educator. And I think, you know, educators who make an impact on you are important. Uh, player wise, uh, I mean, there's a lot of great players that that that, you know, you know, I, I had the privilege, you know, of in like 1974, 75, I saw Pelé play in, in my first year that I played soccer as a five year old. So that was at OMB Stadium, Dallas Tornadoes. I knew it was a big deal. I had no idea who Pelé was at the time, other than the fact that my parents said, hey, we're going to go see this famous guy. And it was in the rain and I was cold, but I, re I I still remember that today. And then obviously when you get older and appreciate it and you see his greatness and it, it gives you the bug to appreciate every great player that there ever was. And, and, and the NASL was a big part of that. I was fortunate to be part of those days where good players were coming through. And I was at an age from, you know, five to 11 to be able to see a lot of those guys come through. Uh, whether it be George Best or Johan Cruyff or or whoever who are at Beckenbauer with the Cosmos, so many of them, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate to get a piece of that, and then it was gone forever. So, you know, I play. I'd say the NASL was a big uh, influence for me and the Dallas Tornado. Thank you, Dallas Um, I'll go then. Uh, so, as a coach, influence. You know, I would say I got a few different people, I, I think, and it probably goes from my pathway, but my father coached me. Um, but as we, as most of us, we, we learn a lot from people that are helped raise us. And my father was certainly instrumental in that. And I learned a lot from how he coached me. Um, and I think uh, I've taken most, I'll say most, I'll take it, taken most of his advice uh, and added it to coaching. Russell G, who many of you in Texas might know, he did. He has been coaching down there in the Houston market. Um, he was at Conley United. He was the guy that gave me my shot. So I worked with him for 10, 12 years at Conley United. And um, he taught me about, you know, working with young ladies, if you will, because that's kind of, that was, that was different. I mean, I'd coached, I, I hadn't coached anyone and, and then coaching young ladies and kind of, <laughs> how you have to manage that. And as a young 20 year old doing that, it's, you know, it, these are lessons that we all have to learn. And so he was certainly instrumental in providing me that structure, that platform and allowed me then to kind of also evolve as a coach. And and he was a great mentor. And then that took me to St. Louis. And I would say, you know, Steve Petcher and Scott McDaniel, those two were absolutely influential in, in a lot of things that St. Louis Scott Gallagher girls have done. Um, I'm probably just a passenger on the bus that they created, but quite frankly, they, I learned so much from those guys. Steve Petcher played for the national team. He's a tornado. There you go. Yeah. 
Um, and um, he is uh, a wonderful man, an honest man, and um, he's a great manager of people, you know. So, and then Scott McDaniel, he's just sincere, calm, collective, and he taught me patience, which I was not a patient player and I certainly was not a patient coach. I wanted everything tomorrow and um, he has helped me and guide me in that. So those are the, those would be the guys that have helped me along my coaching pathway, if you will, and, and helped me to become who I am today. Influence as a player, I'm a twin brother. And so I'll say my bro. I mean, mm, that's a great answer. it's, you know, when you grow up by the side of someone and he was an exceptional athlete as well as person and still is obviously, but he just made me so competitive and I could never beat him. Jason, you would love my brother, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I could just never beat him, but he gave me those competitive moments in my life that helped me become who I am. So yeah, Ian, his name is Ian. Awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think from a coach, Manny Shellshite, um, Manny is a, you know, very well-known coach in this country and, and was for many years back in the olden days of ODP when ODP was all there was to get to the national team. He was the guy that got me to that level. And, and I, you know, just kind of owe a lot of gratitude for him in New Jersey where I was going to go to Seton Hall because of Manny. I ended up changing that to go to Duquesne just because I, I decided that I needed to get out of New Jersey. But, um, <laughs> The, you know, the things that he did for me as a player, did for so many players in New Jersey at that time coming out and, and in region one in general was just astounding to me. So for me, he's like the godfather of, of coaching in this country. And I know a lot of people will tell the same story about Manny that I, that I would. So he's my coaching influence, I would say, and shaped me as a player. Um, I will steal Ralph's answer, though, not, not his brother, but my brother was three years older than me. Um, I played up on his team for years. And so it was really interesting because I think when you're a younger brother, you just get used to getting the crap kicked out of you and in everything that you do. And that helped you in so many ways, it's as unfair as it may seem through those years. And uh, it's really interesting now because I have two daughters and my youngest daughter is, uh, I see a lot of myself in her. She's, she's very fiery and very competitive. And, you know, my older daughter won't, won't allow the younger one to win ever. So it's, it's becoming one of those relationships that really benefited me as a player that I'm now seeing play out before my eyes. And I can only imagine how my parents were frustrated uh, because two little boys versus two little girls, I think it translates a little bit differently in a household to damage, but my brother for me, you know, playing three years older, I did that all the way up until I was in eighth grade. And, you know, that made a huge difference playing against, he was at the time he was four grades ahead of me. So he was a high school senior, but just playing in games at that level and that speed and that, that tenacity. And then, you know, you get to the other side of it where it goes from me wanting to kill him and vice versa to him killing players on the field that took cheap shots at me. Cause I was this young kid that was, you know, it was pretty skillfully adept. So I would try to do a player from left, you know, from time to time and they'd come back with some cheap shots and then, you know, my brother would come in and, and be the enforcer. So I think that that paves the way for teaching you some toughness in life as well. Hey everyone, I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode of Chat by the Pitch. Sitting down with these three gentlemen gave me some clarity of what ECNL is and what they offer and what they provide. I think the showcase is a really big and important part of what they do. 
and what they provide for the players and all the scouts that they have at their events really give a chance to showcase these players. And I hope you guys learned as much as I did from this episode. 